buying and selling real estate, it can be a tough business to navigate. Sounds like you need some friends in the know. For instance, two longtime Twin Ports real estate professionals who know the ins and outs of the market. This is the Twin Ports Real Estate Show on 610 and FM 103.9 KDAM. Hey everybody, welcome to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. You're tuned in to KDL 610 AM on your radio dial and 103.9 on your FM dial. And uh, this is Jim Ronnie and Gary Callagher here, Saturday afternoon from 12 to 1. And, you know, we're going to be bringing in some great local real estate stories as well as national stories. we got a really good show today, Jim. Uh, we've got a guest coming on in the second uh uh, third segment, uh, his name is Clayton Collins, and uh, he's from a national media uh, publication. It's called Housing Wire. You and I have talked about Housing Wire over the years, and uh, it's a great source for real estate news nationally as well on some local levels. And so uh, he is the uh, uh, the CEO of Housing Wire Media, and uh, he's got, he's got some great insights into what's going on with some of the uh, uh, the market, some of the national things that are going on, some of the financial things that are going on as well. Jim, it was it's a great conversation. So uh, I hope everybody tunes in and sticks around for those two segments and uh, uh, listens to what he has to say. So Jim, we got some really incredible real estate news this week and and it's i don't want to say it's kind of a bummer but it is kind of a bummer and um you know if you've been following some of the news this week out in colorado with some of the uh Mm -hmm. that um those wildfires that took off and just decimated some of these housing subdivisions uh, it's really incredible to see there was some drone somebody took some drone footage of uh, one of these, I, I don't remember. This is I, uh, it's in between uh, Boulder, Colorado, out in that area, north and south of that. But you know, these are subdivisions. You know, and subdivisions are where you have a lot of tract housing that was built. You drive down these little roads. There's a cul-de-sac at the end, and and you've got all these houses that are built in in these highly dense areas. And this drone footage was was some of the best footage I've ever seen of of this natural disaster stuff. But as I was watching this, I was I, I was just completely devastated about what I was seeing. And you know th- these these how this these communities gone, they're just gone. They're burned to the ground. And, right. you know, I just, you know, as I started reading about it and they said that there were like hurricane force winds out there, they believe uh, th- this fire may have started from somebody's shed uh, and these wildfires just took off, burned, the, burned these communities down. They're gone. They're just gone. They exist no more. And obviously you and I have talked about this. We had the big tornado, you know, a month or so ago down in uh uh, the Tennessee area, you know, the and and the devastation down there right. as well, but you know, this is just something that again, you know, we come back to that what these natural disasters do, and how they affect people's emotions and the devastation that people are feeling. I mean, the interviewing people, you know, one girl in particular crying that she got married, she used her mother's wedding dress, they had it stored away, all their memories with the wedding, and everything, they're gone. They're just gone. Right. They they will and never then, get know, those back. They can't replace them. Hopefully, they've got them. Some of the pictures stored on on a cloud someplace. But but the physical things that are associated with those, they'll never get them back. And so, 
wiping well, out. The other thing that's amazing, and, and people, if you if you go and you you go and watch this this drone footage that Gary's talking about, what's amazing to me is that you have whole whole developments, like you said, burnt out. But then there are um, a line of houses that are wiped out, and the houses behind it miraculously made it through. Yes. So. Just how this how this wildfire moved and 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 what targets it chose. I mean, it's obvious those people didn't save their house by you know some miracle. They, I mean, it was a miracle. It wasn't it wasn't that they did anything different. Well, the thing the one thing right. that I wondered when I saw that because I saw that and that was you know I thought well geez, yep. but I went back to when we talked about this too with the, going back to the California wildfires. Some people built these fireproof houses, so that I, right. I thought well geez, I wonder if those are fireproof houses. And obviously we don't know, but uh, just interesting how that that uh, it affected most of the houses, yeah. but not all of them. And it's a you know. And when we talk about um, how long it takes to get a new house built, you know, in, in your area, in our area, and we know that Colorado's got to be busy in, in real estate, too. Can you imagine? I mean, they go from everything's all set up to now. I mean, not only, you, you, sure, you're going to get a house replaced, but is it going to be three years? You know, that's just, that's just devastating. Well, the cost, too, you know. I mean, you know, if yeah, you've got, exactly. hopefully mo- everybody's got insurance out there, but replacement costs replacement with materials cost, yeah. and, and labor shortages, the way they talk about it with new housing construction, you know, that's, that was yeah. one of the big predictions that the the new housing market's right. going to be the unknown. So how long is it going to well, take to replace that? Yeah, and that would be, you know, let's say it does take uh, these people three years to get their house replaced, built by a builder. The insurance company, I, I wonder if they have to pay them at, at today's replacement dollar which is going to be different, I would say, three years from now when their house starts. So, wow. Yeah, it's just terrible. And, and like that tornado that flattened those towns, yeah, it's just sad. It's a bad part of, uh, of uh, reporting on real estate. Well, in any event, Jim, uh, we've got a lot of exciting stuff going on. The uh, end of the year real estate market locally here has uh, happened, and so uh, we're able to uh, get some of the statistics out of the way. And and I was just going through them, and um, one of the big statistics that I looked at this year that I was really excited about was the high-end market and the the number of million-dollar-plus homes that we sold in the Duluth market. And unbelievable numbers, Jim. In this market, yep. the Twin Ports market up here, we sold houses a million dollars plus. There were 17 houses that sold over a million dollars or a million dollars or more. Uh, just unprecedented. We've never had that many houses. I think the, the next highest number I remember is probably like nine in a given year. 17 this year. Yep. The most expensive house. You. The can most I, expensive can house. I that... you, can I give you a little contrast to that? <laughs> yes. So, when, I, when I started in real estate, it was... Uh, it was 1987, the end of 1987, and my broker at the time, his name was Barry Bird, and and he listed he listed um, a very large house that had just built out on the St. Louis River, um, and it was the first house in the history of uh, what they can remember that was listed at just over a hundred thousand dollars. Everybody was in shock. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. 1987. Well, we've come we've come a long way since then. But Jim, the most expensive house this year in our Twin Ports market sold for 2.5 million dollars. 
and that was down at 4202 Minnesota Avenue down on Park Point. Uh, we had one sell for $1.35 million. That was at 2617 East 3rd Street. One sell for $1.3 million, and that was down on Park Point as well at 3332 Minnesota Avenue. And then one of those big ones up on Skyline, uh, up in that Observation Hill area, the um, 415 West Skyline Parkway, that sold for $1.275 million. Uh, and then we have just a, a host of other ones. But uh, Island Lake had a couple million dollar houses. One of the condos downtown at the Sheraton sold for over a million. And uh, a couple on Lake Superior that sold for over a million. But what a market, boy, this upper end market. And then and then you look at the numbers from 500000 to a million. And it's like, my God, this market is just like on fire locally. And I know we don't compare to, to you know, markets like, obviously you're familiar with down in Florida and everything, but for this market, for those types of numbers to be happening, that to me shows a healthy upper end market. And so uh, if is that going to continue? I don't know, but I got to believe it is with the uh, uh, Central Medical Campus going up and, and some of the staffing that's going to be needed for that. You got to believe that that's going to be a very healthy market moving forward, Jim. And and the next guy that we're going to interview, we're certainly going to be able to ask him about the health of uh, what the future should hold because he's going to know a lot of information about that. Yeah, so interesting stuff, um, you know, locally here. But one of the other big things too, Jim, is, you know, we've been talking about predictions, um, is, you know, we've got this new Omicron yeah, whatever. Well, I'm very aware. <laughs> um, and is that going to affect the market? And some of the experts across the country seem to think that it's not going to affect the market anywhere near the levels we saw with what we went through with, with COVID. And so they don't expect that to drag anything down or any lockdowns to occur or anything like that. But um, it, it is something that people continue to to be concerned about and, and are certainly uh, – you know, watching it when it comes to the real estate market, but but the experts across the country aren't uh, aren't too fearful of this particular wave. So that that's a good thing, you know. And then the other thing, I know we got about a minute left here in this segment. Um, interest rates, Jim, mortgage interest rates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they've gone up. You know, the convention, yes, the current have. locally, the thirty-year con- term for conventional is at three point five. Last week we were at uh, three point two five, so that's went up a quarter percent in a week. Uh, FHA is at 3.875, and that went up a little bit in a week. And uh, the VA 30-year, and these are all 30-year terms. The VA went up, uh, um, or that stayed steady at 3.75. So uh, I think you're seeing that trend move upwards. What this, you know, means for the real estate market, I don't think it's going to be have a significant impact, but uh, something to keep an eye on. Yep, I hear you there, Jim. We got about 30 uh, seconds. If you want to give your contact information out. Oh. Perfect. Uh, you can reach me down here in Florida at 218-348-7653. And while we do have a very tight real estate market, I have sold several properties to people from the Northland. And guess what, Gary? They're all happy to be down here where it's warm right now. I can imagine. I mean, it's uh, going through the snow that we've had the last two and a half weeks yeah. up here. It's got to be a kind of a nice nice getaway to get down there. And so, folks, uh, you can reach me up here in the Twin Ports at 218-390-0615. I'm licensed in both Minnesota and Wisconsin. Still have some buyers out there that are looking for properties. Uh, if you want to sell your house, maybe, maybe not put it on the market right away. Um, you can save you a little money if you want to do a one-time showing. So uh, 
uh, give me a call if if um, you have a house that you're considering selling. Folks, you've been tuned into the Twin Ports Real Estate Show right here on KDL 610 AM. And we're going to be right back with Mr. Clayton Collins from Housing Wire, and we're going to talk a little bit about national real estate news. So thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show, everybody here. Uh, Jim Rondi and Gary Calgar here every Saturday from 12 to 1 on KDL 610 AM and uh, FM 103.9. And uh, as we talked about earlier in our first segment, we've got a uh, special guest this week. And uh, this is Clayton Collins, and he's from uh, what we call Housing Wire. And Jim and I talk about Housing Wire. We reference this uh, in some of our shows, and it's a national... um, uh, publication or not a publication, but I think it's a digital on a digital format, and they have a lot of insight into the real estate industry nationally, and you know what they talk about. A lot of good writers uh, with a lot of good stories and a lot of insight into the real estate industry. And we're fortunate enough to have uh, Clayton Collins with us today. So, Clayton, welcome to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show, and uh, we appreciate your time and uh, uh, coming on. No, I'm, I'm thrilled to join you today. Excited to. Uh to talk about the real estate market and everything we do at HW Media. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, and what uh, what your role is within Housing Wire. Yeah, happy to. So I am calling in today from Dallas, Texas, where HW Media is headquartered and where I serve as the, the CEO of HW Media. We are a, a media company, um, primarily digital, but we also do a print publication and events that is exclusively focused on the U.S. residential housing economy. And we actually publish and operate four different brands, um, including Housing Wire, like you mentioned. Housing Wire serves uh, information and, and data and daily news to housing professionals and across the mortgage um, origination, mortgage servicing, real estate sales segments of the, of the industry. We also publish a publication called Real Trends, which exclusively was information for real estate brokerages and teams and top performing agents. And we publish a, uh, a rankings program through Real Trends, which we syndicate with uh, the Wall Street Journal. Um, it's a re- really impressive list of top performing brokerages and, and teams and agents across the U.S. And we also publish two other brands, uh, Reverse Mortgage Daily, which covers reverse mortgage industry, and Finledger, which is exclusively focused on, on prop tech and innovation that is impacting the the real estate landscape kind of across residential and commercial and multifamily, kind of a a broader view on technology impact and and real estate. So we have a a pretty wide breadth of of brands and coverage and journalists, but all focused on the U.S. residential housing economy. That's pretty impressive. Um, Some of the... the, uh uh, give us an idea of, of what you think some of the trends are that are coming up for housing. What are some maybe some of your predictions uh, for the upcoming uh, 2022 housing market year? 2020 and 2021 have just been wildly interesting and exciting and exhilarating years for, for residential real estate. Uh, COVID-19 just kind of dealt the housing industry a hand that I don't think anybody kind of fully anticipated how COVID would, would impact residential housing. And um, if you talk to the economists, there actually were some indicators, though, that it should have had us a little more prepared for the wild 
demand, lack of supply, and increased home price appreciation that we, we really saw from, from coast to coast the last two years. And I'm happy to jump deeper into some of those economic trends and indicators, but it's, it's the same trends that propelled housing forward in 2021, which we believe, that I believe, will really continue to, to drive housing forward in, in 2022. And uh, so I'll, I'll kind of set the stage with one of the most important trends that we see in housing right now, which, which impacts the types of homes that are being built, the types of inventory that's available, home prices, and that, that trend is demographics. Expand on that a little bit. What do you mean by that? Demographics is quite possibly the, the most important and powerful economic force when it, when it comes to housing. Ultimately, people like to talk about real estate as a as an investment, and like to th- like to think about their their home or real estate that they buy as something that will appreciate over time. But the real reason that people buy houses, and the, the real reason that most Americans buy houses, is they they need a roof over their head, and, and that is where demographics really come into play and impact the both supply and demand of the in the U.S. housing market. So, for the years twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty four, we we have what could possibly be called the best housing demographics of, of all time. So during this time frame, we have a historic bump in people of ages 20, 28, 34, and the, which is like the range of peak home buying years or peak household formation years. More people turned 32, which is the, the exact spot year that the average person buys their first home in 2020 than any time in history. And that record was beat in 2021. It'll be beat again in 2022 and it'll be beat again in 23 and 24. So that, that demographic wow. of people from 28 to 34, is just something that we, we should have been able to see for 20 years. Um, but it just wasn't anything that I don't think the industry anticipated as, as much as they should have. Well, um, Jim, I have one more question, then you can jump in on this. Yeah, I, and, I and Jim and I have talked about this over the last several months, and we, we talk about the millennials a lot, and they're For years, yeah, you, you know, them as a demographic, and 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 when we were in the housing recession, how they didn't want to buy a home, they saw their parents losing their home, and they just wanted nothing to do with it, you know, back in in the late two thousands, and you know through th- two thousand eleven, but now. We have, there's a stat that was out a couple of months ago, and it indicates that there's going to be 5 million millennials turning the age 30 every year for the next five years. And as you reach that age 30, you become a peak consumer. And so what you're saying here, this age is uh, 24 to 32, you know, this is kind of consistent with that and how it relates to the housing market and are we going to see a downturn and things like that? You know, obviously, I think these predictions are like, no, we're not going to see. As long as economies stay healthy, there's no global events, those types of things, our housing economy nationally should stay very healthy. Yeah, the uh, one thing that, like, it, it makes great headlines to talk about the millennial that lives in their, their parents' basement or never wants to buy a home or is going to rent forever. But ultimately, households get formed, people get married, people have children, People buy do- get dogs, which actually turns out to be one of the biggest drivers for, for buying a home. And uh, those factors, those kind of societal, those norms and those benchmarks that many Americans face as they age from 28 to 34, those are big drivers for, for home buying. And uh, ultimately, we like the, the headlines about avocado toast and living in your parents' basement. 
demographics just breaks those. They, they make great headlines, but people grow up, people form households, and ultimately they need a roof of their own. And uh, what that roof looks like, that, that could change over time. Maybe there's more demand for, for multifamily or more demand for infill communities. But what we've seen in the last two years is that people kind of want space. They want that single family house. And, um, and that's what the housing economy has to kind of continue to prepare for and build for. And hopefully have the right policies and, um, and financing practices in place to, to help these forming households actually afford homeownership. Clayton, first of all, welcome, welcome to the show. Appreciate you coming on. And uh, it's been amazing the, the first couple of minutes of what I've been listening to. And I would go back to the millennial story about them buying houses. Gary, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite articles that we ever talked about on our real estate show was one that we pulled off of the web somewhere that said, when they were much younger before the childbearing stuff, they're saying millennials don't want your old house. And I remember you and I, Gary, for, you know, we talked about it for 11 minutes or so in a segment and we were laughing about it. I said, wait till the kids come, they'll want the house, you know? And of course that's what happened. Um, but I'll tell you, um, looking at your website, I did get a chance to, to, to go in and, and pick some things that I wanted to talk about. One of the things that's interesting with this trend is um, the home affordability and how much that's plummeted alone in the fourth quarter of this year. And the, the alarming, the alarming uh, statistic that I've never seen before says 77% of counties are now labeled less affordable um, than they had been. And um, just to, before we get into this question, my question is, is, is how do you think this is going to go forward? But I'm in um, Florida. Um, I, I transplanted down here and, um, we're seeing that uh, very readily where people have owned rental properties down in Florida for years and years. They've owned these properties for 10, 15, 20 years. And now the, the prices have shot up so high that a lot of them, when the leases are ending, they're putting those houses on the market, cashing in, and those people are stuck out trying to find a new property. And sometimes their rent will have tripled from what they were paying. Um, and so this home affordability thing is, is, is alive and well. Um, when you're saying that 2022 and 2023 are going to create this much more pressure, is that only going to get worse? I hate to be the, the, the bearer of bad news, but there does not appear to be any economic drivers or industry drivers that are going to reverse the course on affordability. Right. Um, the one saving grace that we've had on affordability was low mortgage rates and Right. While there's economists and analysts making different predictions, I know Logan Moshami on our team, our lead analyst, think, sees a scenario where rates could maintain, lo- maintain the same level or possibly even go lower in 2022. But he's also preparing for scenarios where rates go to 3.5 to 3.75, which seems to be a range that more economists are getting comfortable with. And uh, that's going to make owning a home um, – less affordable next year. And, uh, but there doesn't seem to be any drivers that are going to really impact home prices. Uh, and as home prices go up, um, as do rents and in most counties in the U S rents are increasing even faster, especially in Florida, that, that Southwest Florida market around Naples and Fort Myers rents, there are increasing faster than, than anywhere else in the country. And, um, so that, that's a kind of an, an ugly reality is, is housing is, does not have drivers right now that are going to make it more affordable. Well, and you know what I would add into that too, is that um, when it comes to building more affordable housing, there are, there are several 
um, ways that they can get that done. But what I've been reading about a lot is that there are drives to stop those buildings from going up in different neighborhoods. There's a lot of not in my backyard um, that's coming out right now. And, and they have successfully um, blocked a couple of those developments down here. I am in the Fort Myers area, and there's been a couple of neighborhoods successfully blocked affordable housing out of their neighborhood. And to me, um, when you talk about this home affordability, uh, things like that just are going to make it worse. Um, they have to allow um, some of this assisted housing because of the rent prices to come in and be built. Any thoughts on that? Ultimately, affordable housing is something that the industry cares a lot about, but it's going to take government uh, encouragement or involvement or capital to, to really forward, to push forward affordable housing initiatives. So we can talk about affordable housing from the perspective of Kind of low low income and and kind of lower than average income levels in, in certain markets. Um, so that that is an area where there needs to be more focus, but that has to kind of come at the uh, municipal, state, and and federal level. Uh, but th- we can also talk about affordi- affordability kind of through the perspective and lens of the the, the median um, home price. And so there's working Americans who do not. Um, we're not going to qualify for affordable homeownership programs, um, but their home prices are still going up, and, or their cost their their cost of homeownership could still go up if they are entering the homeownership market. But one one thing that I think is really in, important to think about: so there's the people that are entering the homeownership market and how affordable it is to rent a or purchase a new home. Then there's the people that already own who did benefit greatly by the rate environment over the last two years. So we'll talk about refi for a second. So there was over 8 million refinances in 2020, 6 million in 2021. That's a lot of people, a lot of homeowners have already refied. Uh, so we expect that drop, that refi number to drop by 60% in 2022. But what's really notable here is that the refinance borrowers who refied in 2020 and 2021 saved an average of $2,800 a year um, in, in interest payments. And that, that's about $40 billion of cash flow freed up for U.S. homeowners over the last two years. This is some analysis by Len Kiefer at, at Freddie Mac, and um, w- which is really kind of notable. It's a little bit of a bifurcation in, in affordability. So you have some people who own homes who have greatly reduced their, their monthly payment by refinancing. Um, and they've also benefited by seeing their home price go up, so they have more equity than they've ever had before. And other folks who want to enter the market, and they're they're not going to be they're not going to have those same benefits. And I mean that's uh that's 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 part of markets and and timing. But there are definitely a little bit of a tale of two cities going on when it comes to affordability. And the the, the I, I believe lended a survey that showed greater than fifty percent of American homeowners actually saw their monthly expenditure on on. Uh, homeownership go down in the last two years because of uh, their ability to refinance. So there, there's definitely some bifurcation in, in how affordability is impacting different segments of, of uh, citizens. Um, Perfect. Clayton, a couple questions here. The um, uh, Back to this, we got about two minutes in this segment, by the way. So uh, if we go over to the next one, just hang in there. The um, uh, What you mentioned about uh, uh, people freeing up this type of money 
to be, you know, consumers to buy whatever they want. Also, there was a report last year, and I think it was in the second quarter of 2021, that the the refinance market or the pull of equity out of people homes was at its highest level since I think like 2005, and I think the number was like 60 billion dollars worth of equity was pulled out of people's home, um, and and that's the largest amount. Uh, again, since 2005, and I think 2005 was the high watermark. And at that point, people had pulled like $105 billion worth of equity out of their home. And after 2005, we all know what happened and we went into the housing recession. But um, uh, there seems to be some confidence coming into the marketplace with people thinking, you know, I'm not, maybe I'm not going to sell my home. I'm going to be here for a while. I'm going to borrow some money. I'm going to go out and I'm going to pay some debts off. I'm going to do whatever I want to do with this. Are you seeing any of those types of num- or hearing any of those types of numbers about people pulling equity out and the confidence in that market? Yeah. So this is the part of what, about what gets me most excited about housing is how everything is so interconnected. So, so yes, 2021, it's all, a lot of home equity get pulled out of houses. But the drivers, from our point of view, are entirely different than what drove uh, equity being pulled out of homes in 2005 and in the mid-2000s. So that was a period where credit standards were loose, um, any, any loan was getting approved, you had the, the ninja loans, the, the no-income, no-job loans, and that stuff is just gone. It's gone at purchase, it's gone at, at refi. The credit standards on refi are are incredibly solid. So what you see in today's market when people are taking out home equity loans is that we're coming back to the affordability story and the home price appreciation. So when you look at supply across the country, we're, we're at historically low levels of supply and home prices are shooting up. Clayton, can you hold that thought? we got to take a quick break here. Folks, you've been tuned to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show right here on KDL 610 AM, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. You're tuned in to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. Jim Ronnie and Gary Callagher here with you. It's Saturday afternoon from 12 to 1 when we generally join you. And I want to thank everybody for listening in. Uh, we got a, a real great guest on our show today, Mr. Clayton Collins from uh, Housing Wire Media. We've been talking about some of the uh, the demographics of the real estate market nationally. And we've been talking about, uh, we ended up talking about uh, people pulling equity out of their houses uh, f- uh, in the largest amount f- uh, in the second quarter of 2021. And um, if we want to finish up on that one, Clayton, then go on to the next questions, go for it. Yeah, Gary, thanks for including me in this next segment here. And I'll kind of as a quick recap, we were we were just talking about folks pulling equity out of their homes. And uh, I'll, I'll wrap this one up pretty quickly. But one of the, the things that we've seen with extremely low supply is that your traditional kind of trade-up uh, buyer doesn't really have that opportunity right now. Either their dream home, the house they would have sold and moved up to, is, is too expensive or just not on the market. So a lot of equity that is coming out of homes right now is being put right back into houses through renovations and improvements. And we all know how hot the improvement market has been over the last two years. And uh, we see this as a relatively positive thing that people are investing their equity back into their homes, modernizing properties, and uh, and maybe making those those traditional three two homes a little more attractive to that next generation of buyer. Talk a little bit about um, unit home sales nationally, as well as uh, some of the price growth. I mean, I think we've had—I um, don't remember what the number is, but I believe it was between five and six million units sold 
uh, which is a very high number in the U.S. Uh, I think in the in the peak of the housing recession in the 2000s, we were at 6.3, 6.4, somewhere in there. Uh, and then, you know, we dropped down, and I think, you know, we've certainly recovered. But uh, are we going to see the same number of units sold? And then also onto that, how about price growth? I mean, we've had some wild price growth and appreciations in some of these markets of 20-plus percent. Are we going to continue to see that type of price growth in uh, uh, these markets across the country? Yeah, you're, you're spot on the the unit numbers. And as we look forward to 2022, wait, this all comes back to that conversation we had in the last segment about, about demographics. And uh, all the projections for 2022 show the, from at least my, my mortgage lens, is show the, the purchase volume continuing to increase in 2022. We're, we're seeing estimates in the in the 5 to 8% range for purchase mortgage growth, which is a, you know, a proxy for, for home sales. Um, which, uh, you know, a lot, a, a lot lower than, um, I, I think we'd normally see in this market, but, uh, but ultimately a respectable number given the limited supply that is, that is currently out there. And so we're expecting to see five to 8% growth on the, the unit volume and home price growth. We also expect in a similar range. So the, the average that, that Logan, our team at Housing Wire is, is kind of guiding toward is 6% national home price appreciation in 2022, which in any other market is incredible. But when you compare it to 2021, it's much more moderated. So according to CoreLogic CPI number, the the national average as of November or last 12 month growth from November was 18% home price appreciation, which if you're a homeowner, that might feel great. If you're a prospective homeowner, that, that feels uh, that feels pretty terrible. And home price appreciation is actually one of the dynamics that scares us the most about the housing market. Ultimately, we need a housing market where people buy and sell houses and aren't afraid of buying at a top and aren't afraid of putting their house in the market because they won't be able to, to afford the, the next house they move into. And so rapid home price appreciation can actually be pretty, a pretty dangerous dynamic. And uh, so we're we're seeing as a positive thing that home price appreciation guidance or expectations is kind of coming down from the 18% 2021 to the 5 to 6% range in 2022. Clayton, one of the most exciting things I think that's out there in the housing market nationally here is uh, the financial part of this and people buying and selling houses and, and having to finance them. If you don't have cash, you've got to borrow money. And some of the technologies that are going on out there today I think are really exciting. We've been talking about uh, things like appraisals for years. Do we need them? They're cumbersome. They slow down the process of buying a house. Um, and this, what, and I don't even know if I pronounce it right. It's called FinTech, FinTech, whatever, but it's financial technology. And, you know, Jim and I, uh, way back when we started this show in the late two thousands, talked about being able to go in and have a prepaid mortgage card, you know, where you can go in and buy a house and, and basically, Similar to buying a car, you can have it within a day. Now, I don't think that that's reasonable, but do you see any indications down the road that that this could be something to where people, if, you, if you're not buying with cash, is there any financial technology that will allow them to maybe be in a house in a couple of weeks? Yeah, so fintech has been a, a buzzy topic in housing for, for two decades, and that the conversation has, has changed quite a bit. And there was a point where, the fintech was something to be feared. It was something we were talking about disruption. Like who, who's going to disrupt the real estate agent? Who's going to disrupt 
the mortgage originator? Like, do those jobs even exist in, in year 2020? And ultimately that we, we see that those jobs still very much do exist. And, and most home buyers and borrowers still need and desire some, some in-person guidance from a, from a, from a local expert. So as that, conver- that FinTech conversation has evolved, we've ultimately seen more capital and more entrepreneurial talent focus on the technology solutions that enable real estate professionals and mortgage professionals to be more efficient and more effective and communicate with their borrowers and buyers in the way that those consumers desire. And so we've seen massive innovation in really making originators more efficient come to market. But the data is not really showing that the, the processes have gotten gotten that much faster, or in some scenarios, it's, it's gotten slower. So you, you raised the topic of appraisals. It's definitely been a uh, been a bottleneck in some transactions over the over the last two years. And coming to your question, are they even necessary? My view is that they very much still are. And one of the kind of the buzziest fintech innovations of the last four years in housing was the, the iBuyer, the, the instant buyer. I'm sure many people are familiar with Open Door or, or Zillow offers. Zillow offers kind of famous, famously flamed out um, a few months ago and is, is no longer is no longer in operation. And uh, I think that's a perfect example of why appraisals will continue to be part of the, the home purchase process for, for quite a while. Zillow arguably has one of the the best valuation models, yet they were still unable to perfect buying strategy that that worked in all markets. And for me, that really kind of when you zoom out, you see and you reiterate that real estate is a is a local market. And in most scenarios, there still needs to be feet on the ground and somebody that actually places eyes and, and hands on a property before it transacts. And that's going to be the biggest hurdle to getting to a real instant home sale or instant mortgage process. Ultimately, there's going to need to be somebody who lays eyes on on most real on most properties. Now, that might not be the case for the kind of the cookie cutter three two in a in a in a planned community where all the houses are uh, you know kind of within built built around the same time and similar square footage. Those are very easy things to value with data. But that's not most real estate in the United States. And every every house is unique. Every house is in different condition. Every neighborhood, most neighborhoods have different vintages of when houses were built. And that's that's really where the complexity in valuation comes into play. Now, automated valuation works in scenarios where it's a, it's a large down payment and the loan to value is is uh, is relatively low. It, it works in many refi transactions. But there, there's still going to be a need for valuation uh, and appraisals for, for most real estate transactions. We have about two minutes left in this segment. But um, one of the things that um, I actually called uh, one of our local appraisers earlier this year, and, and with the runaway values that we've had and no comparables to deal with this, I basically said, listen, how are you guys uh, being able to appraise these properties that are are selling for twenty, thirty, forty, eighty, a hundred thousand dollars over list price when you don't have the comparables? Are you having trouble? And this this appraiser basically sat back. He said, "No, not really." And this is one of the more conservative appraisers in our marketplace. And so I thought, well, are they being guided by these lenders somehow? Because there's a new. Uh, 
you know, value threshold that's been created here over the last year where we've seen prices unlike ever before. So we've we've basically created this. And with some of the issues that we've had with appraisers over the last, you know, 10, 20 years where they're not appraising, it's like I just felt like when we got into this runaway price, oh, my gosh, we're going to have incredible problems with appraisals. But we didn't. And that was that was eye opening to me. Seems that the best appraisers right now are are dynamic in the tools that they use in, in their valuation process. So I think that from a consumer point of view, an appraisal is simply the the average of the the three to five most recent comparable sales in their market. But more uh, dynamic and, and talented appraisers are using different data sources. They're taking into account economic factors like like supply and demand. Um, Pending home sales, pen, pending uh, pending prices, and really having an understanding of where prices are going, not just where they've been, and that's the real that's the real challenge and the, the art of of appraisal. So uh, I, I applaud your 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 local market appraiser for um, you know for for having that view that uh, they're they're kind of not stuck with uh, with comps from two years ago to value transactions that are happening right now in a high appreciation market. Clayton, unfortunately, we got to cut this off. I mean, the, our time is up, and I know you've got to run, but uh, I would really would like to thank you for coming on the Twin Ports Real Estate Show, and I would be hopeful that you would be able to join us maybe you know a couple times a year you know, and, and give us updates as to what's going on across the national market. But uh, thank you again. And, Jim, do you have any final lots of thoughts? I know we're out of time here. so uh, I Well, I certainly want to back. I have, like, three more questions that we can put off till next time, but... <laughs> It's, it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing website and, uh, you know, um, a lot of information, boy, we could interview you every week and get up, get up to date. So hopefully you'll come back on. Thank you for coming on. Folks, you've been tuned into the Newport's Real Estate Show and Jimmy Gary will be right back. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Newport's Real Estate Show. Jim Ronnie and Gary Callagher here with you on this uh, very fine Saturday. And uh, thanks again for everybody for listening. And uh, Jim. Hey, Gary. Yeah, what do you think about that? What what a show! Yeah, that's really good information. I mean, we can have him on every week. I swear, I could, uh, I could, I could pick his brain for a long time. Um, there were several things that that I wanted to get to that we didn't. That maybe um, we could uh, reach out to him and maybe he can comment and print. But one of them was there, you know, doubling the tariffs of, of soft lumber at the Canadian border, and how is that going to impact? you know, even more the increasing price of building a home. Um, that, that was one of the big questions I had we didn't get to. But again, maybe sometime uh, we'll, we'll get him back on and we can do it from there. Well, he's agreed to come back on, and it's always a good to, to get a national perspective. And these guys at Housing Wire, I'm going to tell you something. They're really tuned into the national housing market, and uh, they have they have a, a great set of writers uh for that publication and they, the, uh, the insight that they give you and that they, they, uh, right. uh, the information that they have available is just, they really have their finger on the pulse of the real estate, uh, economy nationally. So we'll definitely get Colin back, Colin back here and, uh, or Clayton, Clayton Collins. And, uh, yep. uh, you know, as we move down the road. So, um, Jim quickly, um, find it, going back to some housing stats. Um, when people finance houses, 
And uh, in this local market, uh, we have the numbers that show what type of financing they use. Um, conventional mortgages are by far and away the uh, uh, the number one mortgage product that people use to finance homes. But uh, the one number that really jumps out at me this year is cash. And yeah. this is a historically high number. Over 400 unit sales here, Jim, locally, people paid with cash. We've never we've never seen that type of a number. So um, um, a lot of... Um, People are are selling their houses. They've got a lot of equity in it. They're buying second houses or using cash, and uh, uh, it's good. It's good to see that v, VA is another one. Very high numbers with uh, VA loans. FHA numbers are down a little bit, but um, good to see the health of this market in some of the year end numbers, as well as the entire country. I mean, you know, um, there, there's there's certain spots that maybe aren't. Uh, appreciating is fast, but I think that everybody that owns a house has to be happy with the value of their home and how it's been going up. And now, as we found out from our, our from our guests in the last in the last couple of uh, segments, that the number of home buyers is not going to wane. It's only going to get higher. There's going to be more active home buyers in this market than there have been the previous years. So it's going to be strange to watch and amazing. Uh, to see how we keep up with all the housing demand coming up. Well, I think that's a really good point. And the housing market, as we're all talking about now, doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon. And so it's still good for sellers. Uh, but it's also good for buyers getting a roof over their head. I think, as uh, Clayton also indicated, that's that's what they look for. That's what they want. And so... Uh, uh, right. We'll keep, continue to watch this market as we move down the road. Jim, uh, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank everybody for listening to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. Uh, Jim and Gary are here every Saturday from 12 to 1. And uh, we'll be back with you next week with uh, the uh, best local real estate news in the Twin Ports as well as uh, from Jim in Florida. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>